0: john bailey and on this week's episode of popcorn (laughs) junkie i'll be reviewing the latest from johnny knoxville action point the true story of the survival of tammy ashcroft adrift and the (laughs) south by southwest of darling upgrade let's get started (laughs) more where that came from. Oh. It's it. oh. <laughs> when I was younger, I could do four of these at a time. Oh. Oh. <laughs> For those unfamiliar, this movie is loosely, very loosely based on an actual theme park Uh, from the 70s, known as Action Park. Uh, if you, uh, haven't already, uh, check out... You can check out the dollops episode on it. Uh, let me see which, uh... Which video... Let's... Which one was theirs? Which episode was theirs? Action Park was number 87. Uh, that was the one they did on... uh, (laughs) Basically what happened is, um... For 20 years, it managed, well, 18, wait, yeah, 18, technically, Uh, this New Jersey uh, theme park managed to stay open despite countless lawsuits and, um, you know, uh, uh, going off the Wikipedia, give you an idea. Many of the attractions were unique, attracting thrill-seekers, from across New York metropolitan area, popularity was hand-in-hand hand with a reputation for poorly designed rides, undertrained, trained underage staff, intoxicated guests and staff, and a consequently poor safety record. At least six people are known to have died as a result of mishaps on rides at the park, and it was given nicknames such as Traction Park, Accident Park, and Class Action Park. Little effort was made by state regulators despite a history of repeat violations In its later years, personal injury lawsuits led to the closure of more and more rides and eventually the entire park in 1996. 18 years this thing ran. But um, this is, so this is very loosely inspired by um, Action Park. But the actual Action Park is even crazier than this movie. There's no way Johnny Knoxville could have done Action Park justice. It is that insane. Uh, that being said, this is, uh, this is, this is, um, this is, he meant, he does, uh, something more with it. This, uh, time around, he is telling more of a, he's telling, trying to tackle the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, idea of it, but, uh, it's definitely its own thing. It's only ta- He's only tapping the surface of the insanity that was at the actual action park. Uh, but it was, you know, but it, but it does cover the basics. Uh, the staff are mostly underaged and constantly intoxicated. The rides are poorly designed and, uh, put together and there is constant, uh, injury happening across the park, uh, throughout the entirety of the movie leading into a just absolute chaos by the end. Um, so this is, this is uh, continuing Knoxville's jackass-style stunts while, like he did with Grip Bad Grandpa, but trying to follow a coherent story. And uh, I will say, I think Bad Grandpa was much tighter. It had a much better idea of what it, the story wanted to tell. Action Point suffers a lot from uh, relying on, on uh, tropes from 80s. 80s genre comedies. There's a lot of you know the sort of se- you know there's a lot of sex comedy tropes here. There's a lot of the whole uh, yuppie douchebag villains and the we've you know saving the ex you know saving the cool hangout mentality. Like this this has been parodied to no end. And so to try and make it the the actual point again to try and take it seriously is. It's a little is a little lazy, honestly. Um, I mentioned last week that it's it's kind of a mix of some of Mike Judge's writers. Like these are guys that the guys who wrote this were guys who wrote for um, Veep and uh, uh, Silicon Valley, and this is this was one of their uh, I think first uh, uh, feature films. And then the director I think is also another guy who does. Um, uh, A yeah, TV comedy. He's directed V. Brockmeyer, Fleabag, Look Around Juice and this is kind of his. These are kind of first timers when it comes to feature films, but it manages to hold its own. Like it, it, it follows the follows tropes, but at the same time, it's I have, I've seen worse than it. And, and for the and the fact of the matter is this is this isn't about the story. This is ultimately about the stunts. And Knoxville pulls it out again. Even there's a bit during the uh, end credits, during the bloopers, where there actually is a point where, you're almost, where you wonder how he's doing. You know, you wonder if he's okay. There's a, there's a stunt that goes pretty bad. But Knoxville is, um, is solid. Uh, he does the age, This is the second time he's done old age makeup. I'm beginning to wonder if he likes it. Well, well I guess I've never seen Jackass, so he's, probably, he just probably likes putting on old age makeup and so you've got him and then Chris Pontius as is I guess they say brother cuz they refer to him as uncle in the movie so i'm guessing that it uh, it's either his brother or probably just really close friend and it's a lot and it's mainly Knoxville and Pontius along with a uh, a young up and comer Eleanor Worthington Cox who is um she's a he's a, she's a british actress played Matilda on um i'm i'm a in I'm assuming the West End production of Matilda the Musical. Because she won a Laurence Olivier award for it. Uh, she's made. The only film I know her from besides this. Is Maleficent where she played the 8 year old Princess Aurora. And then mainly she's been doing TV over in uh, Britain. Cucumber. Enfield Haunting. Heady Feather. Britannia. So she's been mainly doing that and theater. Where apparently she was also on Bugsy Malone. And she played Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. So this girl is like legit and she's here and she kind of reminds me of of um Chloe Grace Moretz and uh as Hit Girl not to that extent she never goes the balls out like uh Moretz's character did but it also wasn't written that way but I'm interested to see uh Eleanor uh kind of what kind of career path she wants to choose cuz I based on what I'm seeing, she could just as easily stay away from film, but I could see her going any number of routes. I could see her going the Chloe Grace Moretz route of trying to tap into young adult, uh, film. I could see her trying to be more, stay more serious drama, or she could just as easily start going into comedy. She is, I, she is capable and she's a lot of fun in this, but, um, yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of by the numbers. It also flashes back and forth during the story, as um, as as old man uh, Johnny Knoxville is telling the story to his granddaughter, who um, I don't know if they I don't know who this girl is. Uh, let me see if this. Let me see what I can find on her through IMDb. Let's see. Um fourteen stiff no uh boogie Large. yeah it's she's not really listed, neither is okay there's adult boogie um they're not really listing her the granddaughter in this anywhere at least they didn't name her. Um, by, by something that I re- rec that I really recognize. I mean, they refer to the daughter as Boogie and as nickname, So it's not like it's, yeah. You know, we, uh, the names are, uh, really thought out, well thought out. DC, Benny, Boogie, uh, Four Finger, um, Annie, Killers, Killers, what is it? Killer Steve? Killer somebody? Somebody's or no, just Killer. Just straight up Killer. Um... A lot of unknowns mainly. Uh, Johnny Pemberton is in this as one of the workers, and uh, I think those like the biggest names in this are probably going to be Knoxville and Pontius. But everybody else is solid in their roles, and it's and it's a and the stunts are nothing is ever as that creative as in Bad Grandpa or the or the Jackass movies. But it, you know, the setups are are solid. You know, they have the bear that uh, they have a ba- they have a bear on set throughout the movie. That's basic. That Johnny Knoxville keeps referred to as his neighbor, <laughs> his alcoholic neighbor. And um, you know, there's you know, there's kids acting crazy. There's the do- you know, there's the yuppie douchebag land developer that wants to squeeze out Knoxville so he can put in I don't know what condos or something. They never really explain that really. They even have a setup for a competing amusement park. That's basically a Six Flags reference, but they never really do anything with that either. It's it is pretty slap shot ultimately, and I feel like maybe there was more to it that and that, that they had to cut out for and, and it should and it may show up in an unrated cut, but um, but for what it's worth, I think it's I I had fun. You know, you're not going here for. The bet, you know, you're going here for more base level humor and laughs, and that's what I got. I I didn't have any conceit about this movie, and i I think it's I think it's a step down for Bad Grandpa, but at the same time, I still had fun. I still liked. And I still know. And I think knowing the insanity of Action Park going in kind of gives you an idea of visualizing what little bits and pieces of how insane Action Park must have been. Because that's honestly what kept me going mainly. So, if you're into this style of comedy, go right ahead, have fun. But obviously, this isn't for everybody, so your mileage may vary. While Action Point was more loosely inspired enough so that they didn't even legally have to claim any reference to Action Park, this movie is specifically based on a true story. That story being of I've already forgotten her name, Tammy Ashcroft. That's how much this movie sticks in my head. I can't even remember the, per- the lady's name who, did, who survived this whole ordeal. Uh, yeah, basically in 1986. Yeah, 1986, that hurricane season. Although I think the movie says 87 for some reason. But uh, Tammy Ashcroft is this sort of free-spirited hippie chick who ends up uh, going for, you know taking jobs on ships and going from port to port and to find her next gig. And that eventually leads her to Tahiti, where in Tahiti, she meets a British sailor named Richard Sharp, I want to say. I think. Yeah, Richard Sharp, who in the movie is played by Sam Claflin. And the last time I saw Sam Claflin play a love interest, it was in Me Before You. So. Yippee. Yippee Skippy. Yippee Whippy Whippy. Uh, but he's also more, he's probably better known for playing Finnick O'Dare in, in the Hunger Games series, as well as the prince in the, the Huntsman, uh, Snow White and the Huntsman sort of duology that they did, uh, the one that uh, marries Snow White, and he was also in, recently in that, um, in that movie based on uh, Death and DeMaurier's novel, My Cousin Rachel, Where he apparently... Okay, he's the love interest in that. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, uh, But he's the love interest for Rachel Weisz's character in that. Um, I somehow missed that one. But yeah, here he plays this sort of... You know, once again, another free spirit. He goes where the wind takes him. He's a sailor by... He's a sailor. And it basically... He's a rich boy who is able to live off sailing from port to port. So yeah, yeah, I feel really, yeah, I feel, I could, I could really empathize with that. Um, me. So while they're in Tahiti, they start falling in love and they uh sharp. Richard is, um, Richard is recruited by some friends of his, some rich, some rich uh, yachting friends of his to sail their boat from Tahiti to San Diego. And while they're sailing, they end up getting caught in tropi- technically tropical storm Raymond, though they refer to it as hurricane. They refer to it as a hurricane, but they- and I don't think they specify it's Raymond. But in reality it was hurricane it was tropical storm Raymond. I still don't know technically if it's a hurricane or tro- or it's it's a tropical storm, but I don't know if it qualifies as a hurricane. How far north I guess it's far north enough of the equator to qualify. Although I think in the Pacific, it's still called a typhoon. Like it's not far enough south in the Pacific to be a cyclone, but it's not far. I don't know how far north it qualifies to be. a I don't know tropical storm terminology. Meteorologists, send in your letters now. Let me know the correct terminology of tropical storm Raymond from 1986. But anyway, they they get caught in the storm and it's about sur- surviving uh, with the little, you know, su- surviving adrift at sea trying to make their way to uh, Hawaii. Now, I won't spoil the movie, but part of I, this movie, um, I didn't, I was so bored out of my mind, I missed a major, like, Thing until the very end And it didn't occur to me until watching the Double Toasted review on it So I'll go into spoiler talk in a bit But for right now I'll just say This movie is dull Like being, actually being adrift at sea Would be more entertaining than this movie And nothing against the people who make it Uh, Balthazar Kormakur I believe it's, I don't know Kormakur let me see his Wikipedia page. Um, but he's a, a, a he's a Icelandic director. He's best known for Two Guns and the and the 2016 movie Everest. Um, does not say how to pronounce that. Uh, this is an Icelandic name. Uh, current Western family... So then how would you pronounce that? Wikipedia is not being helpful So let me go to The Googles To see how to pronounce that Kormakur 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 Alright, uh, ba- 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 he's saying, ba- I'm hearing Bastasar, hold on. I'm hearing Bastasar. Is that how you pronounce Let me try. Let me try no- another site. Baltazar, Balthasar Kormakur. Uh Anyway... Point is, this dude, uh, is be- the dude who directed, uh, Two Guns and Everest. And he's, well, that's the thing. He's technically good. He's technically proficient. But he's not, he's not dynamic. He doesn't really know how to make something interesting. Really? Like, and that's, but the, and that's the other thing. Um shailene woodley is playing tammy ash tammy what's her name what's (sighs) i cannot be bothered to learn this poor woman's name tammy ashcroft uh she's fine but i don't see her as a character mainly because i know in reality this is pretty much shailene woodley's personality she's a hippie chick And then she and Sam Claflin have, like, no chemistry at all. Like, they're just reading lines as far as they're concerned. They really could not care. And so even... So it mainly falls upon the whole idea of seeing shots of Tammy being adrift at sea. And her trying to survive the trip. But that's the thing i've seen this movie before i've seen this type of movie before i've seen the survival thing before i've seen I saw the mountain between us i haven't seen i've seen enough of castaway by proxy i've seen the gray i've seen movies where the character has to survive and I've seen it done infinitely better than in this movie this movie is dull as as, as, as dust bunnies, a uh, dull as dirt. It, 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 it it's it's as it's it, 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 you're better off honestly watching paint dry. It's much more interesting than watching this movie. That's it. Really, is that dull? And like, there's one somewhat conflict where Tammy has to overcome being a vegetarian in order to survive by going fishing. But I'm a vegetarian. Oh, oh, get over yourself. Die with your principles, you hack. Sorry. She's, she lives. She's fine. Who cares? So I, I, I can't care. I cannot care about this woman or what happened to her. Maybe if I saw a documentary, it would be much more interesting. But this movie is dope. It's so boring. And. And. Um, that's not even going into the spoiler bit. But I'll just say this. If you want th- something to fall asleep to. Go see this movie. Wait for it. To come out on rental. On DVD and rental. And then you can. Re- and then you can fall asleep to it. Because that's what it did to me. I was ready to fall asleep watching this movie. Uh, that being said. Let's, well, this is your last warning. Spoiler Alert. Spoiler Alert. Spoiler Alert. Spoiler Alert. If you have any interest in seeing this movie, tune in to skip ahead to the next review and leave it at that. But for those who don't care, or have already seen it, I completely missed the fact that Sam Claflin was not supposed to be there the whole time. Basically the whole conceit of the movie that she and her, her boyfriend are trying to survive. The boyfriend was in her head the whole time. And I completely missed that because I did not care. I could not care enough to realize that he wasn't even there the whole time. And then after afterwards, I'm watching the uh, Double Toaster review on it. And it's like, apparently, Corey's pointing out how they hammer this into your head the whole movie. It's like, oh, what happens while you're at sea? Oh, well, you hallucinate. Hint, hint. And that's the thing. They flash back and forth to um, her in Tahiti. And her uh, adrift at sea. And so all that time. Like she fucked. At, at like the opening of the movie. The opening of the movie. I completely missed this. Is Richard drowning. I completely missed. That, that was the point of that entire shot. Because I could not. I went in like. Okay. So, okay. What, what's going on? Like I, I was so uninvested in this movie. I missed all of this. So yeah, this movie tries to pull the... It was in her head the whole time. She was hallucinating. He wasn't really there. Which... I, I wonder how Tammy feels about that. The idea that she didn't uh, really... The only way she survived was imagining her boyfriend was still alive the whole time. Instead of, you know, her just being by herself. Um, you know, God forbid a strong independent woman save herself and not... Require the need of her... Her... You know, her hallucinatory boyfriend... Uh... So... Yeah, this... This movie is dull... This pro Honestly, this, this might end up on my blandest... Of 2018... In retrospect... Uh, I'm not sure where it'll fall in... But yeah, this... I could not care... This movie... Bored me to tears... So... I honestly cannot recommend anybody... Go see it... Though once again... Your mileage may vary. a new catchphrase your mileage may vary just to instill the idea that this is only my opinion your opinion can easily differ from mine and to kind of give the idea that you know don't just rely on my opinion and whether or not to see a movie you should ultimately see for your see it for yourself but but, uh yes but yeah um i uh next up is the south by southwest darling And Midnighter Award winner, Upgrade. Uh, For those who don't know, South by Southwest is a festival down in Austin, Texas during the month of... uh, During, uh, like, a week's worth in April... Not April, uh, March. And it's music, it's tech, it's movies, it's all kinds of... It's this big ordeal for Austin. And And there they can premiere movies. And they will give them awards based on the audience's uh votes and this movie premiered at midnight and was voted the best movie that premiered at midnight during south by Th- southwest that's the inherent nature of the midnighter award and the basic premise here is a robo death wish uh robocop death wish basically uh, uh not to not to make it sound too der- too derivative the idea is um a guy who is uh, a guy in the di- in the near future is um is a little uh oh that's the other one a six million dollar man is a bit it's a bit of that um basically this guy who's old fashioned in the in the near future like what is it what do they say the year is they actually don't give a year it's more but it's basically the near future it's not the distant it's not too far into the future it's it would be like twenty thirty years into the future so. Um, most everything is automated by computers and whatnot, and he's an old-fashioned guy, likes to stay at home, work on, work on, uh, old-fashioned, old-fashioned, like, mechanic, uh, mechanic stuff, like, with cars, and his, uh, girlfriend works for a tech company, and, uh, one of his, one of, uh, his clients, uh, who, or, who ordered for a, um, a, what's it called, um, uh, a, uh a um hit the historical vehicle like you know one of one of his uh old cars it, it um has him visit it turns out to be like the bill gates of this universe this super intellectual um uh like futurist who's working on a on a ship that can revolutionize the world and he was he's all um solitary and stick and and um maybe a bit on the spectrum uh but you know you know that that sort of uh quirky genius sort of stereotype and um on their way on their way home uh they end up in his old neighborhood where they get mugged and his and his girlfriend gets shot and he ends up paralyzed from the neck down and he 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 has you know he struggles with being uh quadriplegic and he's and it's there he's visited and it's after um he attempts suicide that he's visited by the old client uh Aaron E R O N like Elon Musk Aaron Keane um who Who visits him and kind of proposes that You know You know that thing I'm working on It could make you walk again But it had to be our little secret And so the the chip is implanted Into his spine And it allows him to walk again But ultimately the chip starts to kind of Do some detective work To try and figure out who it was that attacked him And killed his wife Well wife? Wife or girlfriend? Yeah wife, sorry His wife and um the chip starts to not only help him deduce who this was and he the chip convinces him to start taking matters into his own hands and go full on revenge on all of these guys and then as it, as that goes on he starts to uncover this bigger web of conspiracy just below the surface the further and further he digs and it's it's a it's a fun fun movie. It's not the um it's not once again the story is kind of derivative. they meant you know they mentioned six Million Dollar Man meets Death Wish. I've mentioned Robocop um that's you know it's it's that kind of idea, but it this movie excels at this is from Lee Wannell who was the co-creator of Saw and Insidious. And, well, the, he may have been the creator of Insidious, but he wasn't... But James Wan was the director. But whatever the case, Lee L kind of came at this very simply. No no big name stars. This The last thing I saw this guy in was Spider-Man Homecoming as the first Shocker. Not the second Shocker, the first Shocker. It, there's a Spider-Man spoiler in there. And then the guy who plays... Um, Aaron Keene is his Australian actor named Harrison Gilbertson, who looks like if Dane DeHaan was mushed together with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, and he's re- he was last in... The last thing I would know him from was Need for Speed. And I've never seen... So I've never seen Fallen, which was his last movie. He was in Need for Speed. And then a bunch of Australian movies. Uh... So this is really his kind of breakthrough as well, and then the other uh, the other main actress in this is the police detective Cortez, played by uh, the played by Maling Malin? Maling. I haven't seen Westworld, but uh, her Maling from Westward Westworld, and then Georgina from Get Out. Is how would you, and then she's been in a, she was in a the Percy election year. And a bunch of indie stuff, but this is uh, she's in the Skyline sequel that somehow got made, and she's gonna be in the Unfriended sequel that's coming out later this year. But she's solid in this movie as the as the detective, and uh, and everyone everyone is excellent a- a- in their role. You know, it, they, they, this it, this didn't need like a big name actor to it. And then all of the effects are honestly on par with, if not better, than a lot of blockbuster effects out there. Like, the production design is beautiful and interesting and unique. And all of this was done with, like, $3 million. This, this ranged between 3 and $5 million to make. And it honestly... Um, it and it honestly blew me out of the water. This was a beautifully designed and executed movie. And then where this movie really excels is its action. Its action sequences are insanely well thought out. Use a lot of interesting and unique camera tricks, like like it, it fought like the way you've you've seen the trailer. It follows him as it as he leaps up from the floor, and there's a lot of like. Fish eye lens stuff. It looks like, but however they did it, it's beautifully executed, and and uh, the and then of course um, Logan Marshall Green has to act like he's not in control of his body during all of these action sequences, and he does phenomenal in that regard, and he really like he really. Showcases his skill set as an actor just by the just by the fact that he's able to act like he's no longer in control of his body he's acting independently of it you know the body's acting independently of him and uh i i if you if you haven't yet you've gotta see this this is this is the kind of exploitation cyberpunk movie. That we need. We need low budget stuff like this. Experimental. Grungy. Not afraid to get its hands dirty. And, and play around with stuff. This is what Blumhouse excels at. They don't need like cheap. You know. By the numbers horror movies. They need experimental. Crazy idea stuff. Heady stuff like this. This is what I'm in for. This is why I like Blumhouse. And um that like I said if you haven't already go check this out because it's it's phenomenal and uh I I, like I said the stories not even the conspiracy which I won't spoil um doesn't really go you know isn't really too out there like it's kind of predictable after a certain point but that's not the point that's not why you see this movie like with action point point. You see it for its visual effects and its flair and its energy. And I had a blast. This is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. So if you haven't already, go check out um, Upgrade in the theater near you. You won't be, hopefully, you won't be disappointed. But once again, your mileage may vary. I think it's going to become way too hokey uh, for this. (laughs) For this series Maybe I'll try to wean off of that Maybe that'll just be this episode Um, Anyway we're going to take a quick break And then when we come back we're going to have a discussion About Non-dramatic biopics Into every generation a slayer is born One girl in all the world A chosen one And alongside her Are the Watchers We are the Watchers once more with feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fan cast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. <laughs> again saw two somewhat biopics well one and a half biopics let's say one was a full biopic one was a very loosely inspired by true events movie enough so that they didn't even need to go through the legalities of saying this is inspired by true events um and so because of that i wanted to try and get into this notion of non-traditional biopics things that don't follow the usual dramatic tropes of the biopic. And play things up more uh, for comedic effect or maybe for a different genre. Um, the first one that came to mind was, obviously, a man, The man, man in the Moon. And that's the biopic. Uh, and I think that's the main thing is that with comedic bi- comedian biopics, bi- biopics about co- com- uh, comedians, aside from, like, Chaplin... Because Chaplin's arguably a comedian, but aside from the stuff like that, um, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Lenny. I never saw. Um, I know. I remember seeing the making of the, thick, the making of Lenny in the um, in the Bob Fosse biopic. But I don't remember, I don't think I've actually seen the Lenny Bruce biopic that Bob Fosse made. Fun fact: uh, Choreographer Bob Fosse made directed a Lenny Bruce biopic. Back in the 70s. Starring Dustin Hoffman. And I remember seeing the making of the Lenny Bruce biopic. But I never saw the actual Lenny Bruce biopic. The making of the Lenny Bruce biopic. Was actually part of the Bob Fosse biopic. Fun fact. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, there's. there you know there, I, There's a lot of. Like another one that just came out this year. A Futile and Stupid Gesture. Dealt with the founding of National Lampoon. And that was a much more comedic take on the on things. American Splendor is another case where they decided to go the non traditional biopic route, trying to be more comedic with it. Not so not not trying to follow any dramatic stru- Narrative structure. And Ed Wood. Ed Wood. And then of course, uh, where the Buffalo roam and Fear and Loathing. Uh, when talking about Hunter Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, also, um, last year's The Disaster Artist was another case of. Utilizing comedy in order to tell the story, you might qualify *Itanya* just because *Itanya* allows for more comedy in its narrative, but I don't think it's a comedy outright. The same way that I don't think, while *The Martian* has comedic elements to it, it's a dramatic narrative. But I haven't seen *Itanya* yet, even though it's on Hulu now as of this recording. But. I think when you're dealing with comedians it, they tend to try to go the more comedic route or comedic um, characters like Hunter S. Thompson like Ed Wood like Tommy Wiseau and the comedic route seems to be the main one besides drama that they go for for biopics the main one is drama that's the big go for it. you don't tell you uh, bi- usually don't tell somebody's life story unless it's really dramatic, I- dramatically interesting Um, aside from that, you get stuff like, um, exploitive and horror. Things like Ip Man is technically a biopic. It's about the actual, there was an actual person named the Ip Man. Um, I forget where he's from. Chinese martial artist, teacher of Wing Wing Chun, I believe it's, how do you pronounce, how do you pronounce that? Um... Uh, I don't... I think it's Wing Chun. Wing Chun. I know, um... I know it definitely, um... Wing Chun. Wing Chun. Okay. I think that's how you pronounce it. But I once again, correct me if I'm wrong. I know Chinese is very, um... Syllab... Sil- syll- syllably based. I know one mispronounced syllable and you're saying something completely different. But... Um, he lived from uh, 19, 1893 to 1972 and there's all, and Donnie Yen was actually the one who played him in I believe all three of the Ip Man movies um, uh, Ip Man film series, there's like four of them And I think he's played by Donnie Yen in all of them. Um, Donnie Yen. Bruce Lee's character was supposed to be in the third one. And then they've announced the fourth Ip Man. So there's going to be a fourth one. With filming beginning this year. And it will take place in the United States with him facing off with uh, with um, Bruce Lee. But yeah, this is. But yeah, Donnie Yen was a big. Ip Man was a big series for Donnie Yen in Hong Kong, and he, and and that's kind of been. And so his that series is less dramatic and more like a Hong Kong action series of martial arts movies, and. And so, um, yeah. It oh, apparently they did introduce Bruce Lee. So wait, did was it man the guy he also fought in uh, in that really terrible Bruce Lee movie from last year? Let me see. What was the name of that uh, that movie? I'm not seeing it. let me pull up. I don't think it was... The one that, um... That, uh... I think Chow Yun-Fat played him. In the movie. Let me see. Legacy. Shoot, I'm not seeing it. Um... Uh... Ah, what was it called? Damn it. I know it was... I know it was, um... I know it was, uh... It was... I was very, um... It was very critically pained because apparently it didn't even follow Bruce Lee. I think it was tw- maybe it was two thousand and sixteen. Let me see, Birth of the Dragon. That's it. That's the name of the movie. So what? And then um, no, no, it was um, I don't know why I thought it was Chow Yun Fat, but uh, Zhao Yu is, um... the Shaolin Master who supposedly came to America to fight him. Uh, Wong Jack Man. So Ip Man is the guy who trained Bruce Lee, I think. There's something about that. Ip Man has some relation to, uh, Bruce Lee. But that's not who was in that Birth of the Dragon movie. Um... But I didn't realize the Hitman movies were that recent. I thought they were much older. Uh, So I'll have to check those out at some point. Especially since I love Donnie Yen. Uh, So then what's his relation to Bruce Lee? Yeah, his most famous student was Bruce Lee. So he's the one who taught Bruce... Helped teach Bruce Lee uh, martial arts. uh, Specifically... Wing Chun, uh, Wing Chun, uh, martial arts. And, yeah, I'll have to check out that series. Uh, but yeah, that you could take it, you know, for a guy like Ip Man, it makes sense to try and take it more since he was a martial artist. And if he did, um, because apparently he fought in, um, what was it? The Sino Japanese War. So since he was a, since he fought in that, they probably play off of that. I know there's one where, like, Diane punches an elephant. So, uh, I'll have to check those movies out. But I know that's the, that's the path that they took for, with that series. Uh, there's, a, there's also the Walking Tall movies. where it's that, well, that one's a case, kind of like Action Park, where Walking Tall is loosely based on a true story of a res- professional wrestler turned lawman uh sheriff buford that can't be his name that can't be how you pronounce his name buford pusser p u s s e r that can't be pusser it ha- pusser it must be pusser it can't be pusser uh but anyway he was a professional wrestler who was who was who was elected sheriff of this town in Tennessee. Where he uh, took on the Mafia. And it went on to inspire the movie Walking Tall. Which was since remade with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson I believe. Uh, let me see. Joe Don Baker, And um, let me see the remake. Yeah Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the remake. I think with uh, Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. I remember that one. It was it was all right. It was it was it was like right in the early days. It was this was thankfully after uh, the Scorpion King era of the of the of the Rock's career, where he was really starting to kind of get into his own. And I think it was fun. Uh, apparently, that had two direct to video sequels starring Kevin Sorbo, just like the original. Had a bunch of direct to video had a bunch of unnecessary sequels. Although that was before the era of um, of uh, of of directed video schlock, so that was just oh, that was that, that stuff was made for theaters, um. But yeah, it's a uh, so yeah Buford Pusser, uh, and that one went for a more once again action route. His life was so action oriented that that's the route they went. You know, at least that's the one they tried. They turned his story into an exploitation sort of uh, an action movie. And then of course, you, in that same vein, you can also go with horror. Um, the case, and, that, and this is the case for a lot of um, stuff about serial killers. The Dahmer movie that they made with Jeremy Renner in 2002, I want to say. And then the one, the same, the guy who wrote that movie went on to write the Gacy movie that was released a year later in 2003. But um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is another one of those sort of biopics but that's apparently based on um, uh, random crime We of a serial killer. Why did it say it was based on a true story? Here we go. Based loosely on the real life of serial killers, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. That's another one there where they take inspiration from without it being a full-on biopic about... Like, Dahmer and Gacy were biopics. This one is kind of like the psycho route where it, went, where it took inspiration from serial killers without it being a, an actual serial killer movie. Oh my goodness, that's Michael Rooker. I need to see this movie. I've heard good things, but apparently it's Michael Rooker as, as the actual serial killer. I need to check this out. Um, there's another one coming soon with Zac Efron that's about Ted Bundy. And I think that's they're going. That's what they're going for. That that's the That's what, that's what they're going. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile is the name of it. Really stupid title. May I would have gone with shockingly evil and vile. Maybe extremely wicked. Not the whole thing. It's it's a it's a mouthful. Um, but yeah, it's it's a thriller starring Zac Efron as Ted Bundy, which makes sense. Apparently, Ted Bundy was like really handsome. And that's kind of how he was able to get away with it for so long. Because he he was able to attract women to him. And then he took advantage of them. With Lily Collins as Elizabeth Klepfer. And then John Malkovich as Edward Cowart, the judge, uh, presiding over his case. Jim Parsons is in it. Um, Hilly Joel Osment is is one of the detectives. And then you've got uh, James Hetfield. Lead singer of Metallica as Bob Hayward, whoever that is in the movie. Um that's coming out later this year, I believe, from Joe Berlinger, who is pioneering the genre of true crime documentaries. Wait, they've got a true crime documentarian doing this? Okay, he did the Paradise Lost trilogy, some kind of monster. About uh okay, that's the connection with Metallica. Oh, poor dude. His his first narrative debut was in Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Oh my dude. Apparently he was he his last movie was The Promise from twenty sixteen, which was about the Armenian genocide. I missed that. I managed to miss that one mainly because it dealt with the Armenian genocide from the point of view of a white dude. Like, we didn't really need that. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, um, that, that, no, no, Terry George did the bu- drama. Berlinger in 2017, you did an actual documentary about the Armenian genocide, which sounds interesting. Intent to destroy. Death, denial, and depiction on an examination of the Armenian genocide. And then he did a documentary about Whitey Bulger. Uh, uh Whitey, United States of America v. James J. Bulger. Uh, so yeah. Um, his la- his only other narrative film is about his was Blair Witch Two. Although he also did, and although and so he's mainly known for documentary. Aside from that, but uh, he also did Ecuadorian plate is against Chevron Corporation for its alleged responsibility in continuing sites of pollution, and apparently he's been in legal battles with Chevron over that. Uh, the Chevron Corporation subpoenaed the outtakes from Berliner's two thousand nine film Crude. And um, so, yeah, Chevron did not like the idea of their their stuff being leaked, and they tried to silence it. Um, uh, but yeah, his main thing is the Paradise Lost uh, trilogy about the kids in Arkansas, and his and so this is going to be his second actual narrative feature, and I'm ex- I'm interested to see how it turns out. I mean, the guy knows true crime. So I'm. I'm assuming he's gonna be. Um, he's gonna be fine in trying to adapt uh, Ted Bundy to the screen. He's probably gonna try and take it more, um, more true to true to life than uh, a lot of directors might. But we'll see. Um, that, so yeah, that's gonna be a, a thriller, and it may be a, it's, It sounds like it's gonna be. Um, it's not gonna be full on horror. Like Gacy and Dahmer were, but it's going to be not going to be a straight up um, drama either. Aside from those kind of things, like like I said, the main thing besides drama that most uh, Hollywood productions do for biopics is comedies, and then you'll go sometimes to the more exploitive sort of action or uh, horror route. But every so often. And it's, it was bigger back in the day, but it made a slight comeback. Sometimes you'll get a musical biopic. And that's what we got with The Greatest Showman. Now, I'm not a big fan of The Greatest Showman. I mean, take out the fact that it's depicting a guy who literally owned people and exploited the, the, the underprivileged. And people who weren't considered citizens or even human at the time for his own benefit. It treated him as some kind of hero. Uh, it just, it, it really isn't all that great of a movie, honestly. I don't get the appeal of these guys who wrote La, La who are these guys? They're the ones who wrote the music and lyrics for La La Land as well. Who are these guys? Music... By Justin Hurwitz. Is that the same guy who went on... I don't think that's the same guy. But that's the same guy who composed for Whiplash. So then who's the guy who wrote for... um, Greatest Showman. Like, the songs are just generic Broadway filler music. Like, it's not... Nothing... It's so generic. Uh, John Debney... Uh, he's the conductor behind Passion of the Christ so, and Cutthroat Island, so that's not him. And then Joseph Trepanese. Trapanese. Composer and arranger. Okay, wait. Who did music and lyrics then? Okay, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Here we go. Benj Pasek and Justin Paul... Uh, Feet, they wrote for Smash and La La Land, and apparently the Broadway shows of James and the Giant Peach, Christmas Story, Dogfight, Edges, and Dear Evan Hansen. So, so I mean, these guys are out and out musical songwriters, but their stuff that they've written for film, it's it's generic and boring. Like, I don't, I don't get the appeal. Where is the, where is the appeal? Maybe their stuff for Broadway is better, but the stuff that I've heard them of them on film is, 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 is boring and uninteresting and just generic as all. I, I feel like I'm repeating words because that's what it is. It's nothing about it stands out. You know, it's if you've if you've heard any musical theater production, you've heard their music. It's nothing out of the ordinary. Whereas think of it this way. Who are the who is the husband and wife behind Wicked? Cuz they went on to work for Disney. I'm pretty sure it's a husband and wife. Oh no, that's steven Schwartz. Winnie Holtzman? Why do they think it was wicked? No, it wasn't wicked. Schwartz did wicked. It's Avenue Q. And I think Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks... Well, I know Robert Lopez. It's him and his wife that went on to work for Disney. Uh, Robert Lopez also worked on Book of Mormon with uh, the South Park guys. And then... Yeah, he and uh Kristen Anders Kristen, uh Kristen Anderson went on to work for um Disney writing the music for Frozen and Coco, I believe as well. Uh they won for uh they won the award for let uh they won the Academy Award for Let It Go. Twelfth person. Lopez is the twelfth person to achieve the full Egot. Sweet, good for him. Um Lopez was writing original songs for the Netflix uh reboot of Mr. Science Theater. That's neat. Uh, he, okay, he um he wrote Remember Me for uh Coco as well. And then um Oh my god. He and Jeff Marks uh when before writing Avenue Q, their first real uh project together was kermit prince of denmark a muppet parody of hamlet i need to see this oh oh come on jim henson rejected the script it did not have enough kid appeal oh come on i need to see that can we get like a fan fan creation fan film of that i want that um but yeah Robert Lopez, and and whether he's with um, Jeff Marks or his wife Kristen Anderson, he writes musical numbers that stand out. And Lin Manuel Miranda, who wrote for Hamilton, um, what was the other one? Um, what's the? It was the one before that. Uh, uh um, in the Heights, and then. Recently, Moana, and he's set to work on Mary Poppins Returns, writing the songs for that as well. Uh, This Lin Manuel Miranda writes dynamic musical numbers that inspire, that take inspiration from not only traditional musical theater, but also influences from hip hop and you know blues and R and B and all all these different sources. And they write compelling and interesting musical numbers. In a world with Robert Lopez and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and all those people... Like, Pasek and Paul need to step it up. Because when you've got those kind of titans to compare to... If you're not giving it your best, then why bother? So, yeah, I honestly... I honestly couldn't care less about *The Greatest Showman* for either as a musical or as a depiction of the life of P.T. Barnum. So, those are kind of the main non-traditional biopics that uh, that I could think of. But yeah, I mean, there—it's a thing. It's a way to break up the monotony of the biopic because so many biopics. Follow the same formula. And these non-traditional biopics are the way to shake up the monotony of the genre. Like, I would allow for more musical uh, inspired. Like, a Gene Kelly biopic would need to be a musical. Like, that would be the best way to send up Gene Kelly on film. And I feel like, um... You know, so... Um... Um... There's, there was that musical. I forgot this one. Topsy t- Topsy Turvy was about Gilbert and Sullivan, and I think that one was kind of a musical in and of itself. Um, so, I mean, if you, there's about, there, but so like music, so like having, f- and not just like that's the thing. Band biopics will feature musical numbers of the band singing a song, or feature their music prominently. But I feel like an actual like musical. That follows the musical theater uh, structure. That can you, there can I mean there are plenty of people who've adapted people's lives to film in that sense. And I see there's no re- I see why there's no reason for that. You just you know pick better subjects than you know a literal slave owner and exploitation garbage man. Uh, I think and I think the idea that allowing for more um, more variety in the idea of a biopic. Is a good idea to keep. I feel like if you, the way to break up that monotony, because it's it's such a reliant uh, genre nowadays. Like Hollywood loves going into that sort of genre, especially during the Ward season. They love playing up the whole "this really happened." Here's the real people about what about the story we're telling. But then it's all the same tropes. That we've seen in every biopic. So to break up that monotony is good. We need more movies like that. Like we would need an action movie. For people who were action oriented. Martial artists and wrestlers and athletes. And things like that. And I missed one. This one is quote unquote a biopic. It's definitely based on a true story. Balto the and i think the one genre that doesn't need the biopic is the animated kids movie cuz it didn't work for pocahontas not you yeah, not not great for mulan definitely didn't adhere to the actual mulan and it really really played fast and loose with balto so biopics in the form of animated movies I don't know. Like, I could see it for, like, people who were involved in animation. Like, a Walt Disney movie that's also an animated biopic. That's... that's That makes sense. Or uh Chuck Jones biopic that featured Chuck Jones-inspired or Tex Avery-inspired um, animated sequences. That makes sense. But... Uh, yeah, like, the way the kids' movies and animated movies are set up, it doesn't work well with trying to tell a true story like the only one i think it animation can tell amazing stories but it works for things like persepolis where it's not made for children and even then it's a that's still a traditional dramatic biopic it's just animated so the medium doesn't matter either you can have and, and like um, loving Vincent was a bio was it was uh was try, was inspired by the was trying to tell a story based around Vincent Van Gogh. Gogh, Van Gogh, Gogh. Uh, I I I know people say Van Gogh, but I also know that's not, uh, not that's not correct. Um, uh, I uh, let me see. Vincent Van. There we go. Van Crap. Hold on. Here, listen. Here, they, they have it for Vincent Van Gogh. For Vincent. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. I think it's how it's... That's how Wikipedia is pronouncing it. Ah, uh, Van Gogh. And with a little ch 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 Like a young, Flame in your throat, Van Gogh, and um, and so that and so that animated movie was painted like a Vincent Van Gogh um, art piece, like a, like one of his paintings. And uh, I think going so the medium is fine, but once again, those are still dramatic biopics, but dramatic based on true story film and I feel like going a and so once again the medium doesn't matter but the idea of non-traditional um biopics I guess I guess it would count as non-traditional because traditional biopics are drama live action dramas whereas you can easily do more fanciful stuff with animation especially if you're talking about a biopic that deals with somebody whose life was much more fanciful than that, or who dealt with creativity? Like I can imagine, imagine this: a Banksy bi- after his after he's died, a Banksy biopic made entirely through graffiti art, like animated as though it was a uh, graffiti drawn on a wall. I think that would be interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's to say that. Uh, but once again, I think the more I more classical, non traditional biopic would be something. Like a comedy, horror movie, exploitation movie. Ro- a Roger Corman biopic needs to be an exploitation movie. I've wanted to do a Roger Corman... I've had this idea for a Roger Corman biopic for years. Just based on the in- just insane stories I've heard about his film productions. And I would love to see that man. I know there's been documentaries. I would love to see a biopic about the guy too. That's told entirely have Blumhouse make it or A24 somebody who's known for uh, Blumhouse maybe or hell have Corman Studio make it <laughs> have them tell his own story and and yeah like so he, oh I missed another one um Michael Bay's uh Pain and Gain was loosely and more loosely inspired by uh these bodybuilders who tried to rob a, rob this guy um it it well yeah i think that there's there's more i think there's definitely more room for the non-traditional biopics and i think having more of them would make the traditional ones kind of you know r- remind people that hey it doesn't always have to be the same you know three act structure you know story of this person's life you could tell actual interesting stories with these people's eyes because life is more interesting than what we've made it out to be. So I'm all for more non-traditional biopics. And if you have something that you, you can think of that you've seen and you want to, and you want to shout out, send all that to popcorn junkie podcast at com. And I would love to shout things out from the listeners. Just to let people, just let me know you're listening. Oh my God. I would love to let hear from people who actually listen to this thing. Um, Anyway, uh, let's head over to John Bailey for a little box office report. And now the Popcorn Junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Thanks, John. We're back with uh, this weekend's box office report. And looking at the weekend of June 1st, it's a bit stagnant. We're going to cover the top seven uh, this time around. Uh, number, last week's number 7 has dropped all the way out of the top 10. Show Dogs is way down at number 12 now. And good riddance. So looking at this week's tops, uh, we've also lost uh, breaking in out of the top 7. It's dropped down to number 8. And we got one real loser this weekend, but we'll get into that in the breakdown. Uh, first up, number 7. Last week's number 5, Life of the Party. Brings in $3.4 million dollars bringing its total domestic gross up to forty six point three million bringing its worldwide total up to fifty four point four million and knowing that these movies cost about thirty thirty million dollars to make up to upwards of sixty million dollars to make no sixty million it take no it's all been on the upwards of thirty to forty million dollars this is still considered a loss this is lower even this may not even beat out her uh last movie with Ben Falcone the Boss, which raked in only sixty million dollars. So people are starting to get sick of the same old Melissa McCarthy shtick, it seems like. And we'll see if she keeps it up though, because even though it's not making all the money, it's it's it may be making just enough. And they may have been able to subsidize it some way. You know how productions are. Next up, number six, new release on the on the on the top on the on the box office this weekend upgrade brought in 4.4 million dollars on once i once again i meant once again as i mentioned a three to five million dollar budget and it seems to only have made back its budget we'll see it may do better on uh film on a video it may do better on v on like a streaming and whatnot we'll have to wait and see it de- it definitely came out in the fewest number of theaters only coming out in one one thousand four hundred fifty seven compared to two and three thousand for the next, for the other new releases this weekend. Staying uh, on the top in the top seven is Book Club at number five, down from number four, which which bring, brought in six point eight million dollars this weekend, bringing its total gross up to forty seven million dollars. And like I said, this only costs like twenty million dollars to make, so it's starting to finally. Make a profit again. Uh, it's, it's finally starting to starting to break into profit after that. Um, uh, after you mar- after you apply marketing and whatnot to it, so there is once again mom exploitation that audience out is out there and it wants stuff like this. So th- so this movie is doing perfectly fine. Next up, number last week's number three is dropped to number four. Avengers: Infinity War brought in ten point three million dollars bringing its total domestic gross up to 642 million and its total foreign gross total worldwide gross up to 1.9 billion dollars billion with a b so this could we it's at time will tell whether or not this let me see uh why do i get the uh how do i get to its um the other, uh, here we go. Marvel Cinematic Universe. How is it still domestically behind Black Panther? Uh, still, it would still need a $50 million boost domestically behind, to get to, to get up to Black, catch up to Black Panther. But, but worldwide, this is the highest grossing, um, Marvel, Marvel, uh, Cinematic Universe film. So, that 10 years has paid off in 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 spades. Number 3 is our, is another new release for this weekend. Adrift came in and br- came in with 11.5 million dollars bringing uh with bringing its uh, bringing with um its foreign demand, foreign uh total only 11.8 million. There was only $350,000 in foreign uh box office. On a budget of $35 million. So I'm not sad that this movie flopped. Because if it was any good. It would have made back that $35 million. But this is a boring schlub of a movie. And I can understand people not wanting to see it. So, so I'm not sad for it. It's, it I'm, I'm perfectly okay with this outcome. Number two, staying in at number two, is Deadpool 2, with $23.3 million, bringing its domestic total up to $254.6 million. And combined with the foreign total, uh, a worldwide gross of $598 million. Now, how did they compare to the other Deadpool? Still lagging a bit behind the first Deadpool movie. And I think that's just from sequel fatigue. It, It doesn't... It can't really compete with that. That first Deadpool was such a shot in the arm of, oh, hey, we haven't seen anything like this, that having a second one doesn't exactly, um, doesn't, hasn't exactly done it any favors. Although it is the second highest grossing unadjusted for the, for the entire X-Men uh, series with uh, adjusted for inflation Deadpool is the high it's Deadpool is the highest grossing X-Men movie after X-Men with X-Men with the first um with the original 2000s trilogy uh and and Days of Future Past topping out the rounding out the top 5 but these Deadpool movies are the highest grossing so far even and especially worldwide like worldwide Deadpool is the highest grossing X-Men movie out there so if this Marvel deal go, if this Fox deal goes well through with Disney, there, you know they they've got uh they've got their they've got their money made out for them as long as they don't screw this up. And then and then speaking of Disney, their little red haired stepchild Solo remains at number one with twenty nine point two million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to one hundred and forty eight million dollars. And its worldwide gross to 264 million dollars. And from what I hear, this movie cost 250 million dollars to make. So it took two weeks to make back its budget, and that's globally it make back its budget. So this movie is go- is go- probably going to be offset in toy sales, honestly, because there's no way it can make back what it what it's lost with um, based on its production. This its troubled production could have been overcome once again if the movie was any good but people were not hyped for a solo movie they did not need this nor want this this is just disney ho- hoping hoping on a hoping on a sure thing and real, uh, without people without realizing we've had like uh, we've had enough movies with han solo we're good on han solo Rogue one made money because we hadn't seen those characters before it was a news story how about we 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 can't we we didn't want a prequel to Han Solo. And looking at it looking at the Star Wars anthology uh it oh the anthology that's the anthology series between that and Rogue One. Uh yeah, it's number 10 uh above the uh, unadjusted for inflation. It still lags it's still lagging behind the uh, the old trilogy unadjusted for inflation and if you adjust for inflation it it was it gets beat out of the top 10 by the Star Wars special re-release from the from the 90s that Fox did the special edition re-release got more made more money adjusted for inflation than solo so i'm not I'm I'm okay with this doing worse in the prequels because even though it's a better movie than some of the prequel movies, it definitely is not worth seeing in theaters, honestly. Uh, but that's me. There's I know this movie has its fans, but uh as of recording, Jenny Nicholson's uh, uh uh breakdown of the movie came out, which I highly recommend you check out. I love Jenny Nicholson, she's the best. And and um, she basically matches all of my gripes with the movie. And I, I disagree on... I, I did realize that L337 is literally named Leet. Ha <laughs> Leet Tax source. Ugh. But that may have worked better. In the, that may be a holdover from the Lord and Miller thing. So while I liked her character, at the same time, I understand where Jenny's coming from and her being problematic. Because she's pointing out stuff that's only played off as a joke, mm-hmm. and once again, that may have been a holdover from Lord and Miller. Maybe they had a better idea going for it. Uh, that's going to be one of those missed opportunities, like the Edgar Wright Ant Man movie. Out that there's going to be there's an alternative universe out there, alternate timeline where that's what we got. That's the solo movie we got. Maybe it did way better. So. We'll have to wait until the Rick and Morty technology of seeing alternate timeline mo- movies and TV shows comes out to uh, f- to, fig- to find to find out if that's true. And then the real loser of the weekend, Action Point, cost $19 million to make and it only brought in $2 million its opening weekend. Now compare that to uh, Knoxville's last movie, Bad Grandpa. Although apparently he was in an Elvis and Nixon movie, and it, he played a voice in the Ninja Turtles movie, but it, yeah, his last movie where he was the star, Bad Grandpa, that brought in a hundred and two million dollars on a similar budget, fifteen million dollars to make Bad Grandpa. I think it just goes to show that action point. Even even though I know about Action Park and I love it, there's it ultimately doesn't it it this isn't the kind of stuff people wanted to see and it also didn't help that and it also kind of doesn't help that even though it was released in more theaters than uh upgrade it got less people went to see it so maybe people are getting tired of this shtick maybe they just didn't want this particular movie so i don't know i had fun that and maybe other people will check it out on video but so suffice to say, we got two bombs this weekend. Both *Adrift* and *Action Point* bombed, and it just goes to show: mi- mid-level movies, mid-level budget movies, can only work if you're tell- if you've got something to bring to the table. And ultimately, people didn't want to see a action, par- *Action Point* or *Adrift*. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend over over ten million dollars, you got to bring something people want to see, or you're gonna or you're going to flounder. But that was this weekend's box office report. And let's take a look at the next weekend with uh, our three new releases. We've got the latest entry in the Oceans franchise. The all-female-led Oceans 8. Uh, we've got the John Wick-inspired... Not a knockoff, it's inspired... <laughs> uh, homage. Can, can Is John Wick old enough to be homaged? But yeah, the John Wick... Uh, inspired movie Hotel Artemis, and then the latest from A24, Hereditary. So let's take a look. First up at Ocean's Eight. Do you know this one? Yeah, Conviction James Corden brother brother, is O'Connor. probably going to be my least More favorite part of this villain. movie because I, On the night I of- never oh. liked him. So would like to present you all with a hypothetical situation. How hypothetical? Not very, unless we screw up. Ooh. It's called the Tucson. It's over six pounds of diamonds. Valued at over a hundred million dollars. 150 million, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to rob it. Three, two, one, two, Sandra! Oh, you Bull. Better watch word I Great to see you you've looked recently incarcerated? That, that was spectacular. <laughs> I love These Kate Blanchett. They're hackers. I was talking about They're this in, uh, Russian, in a no? group There's chat uh, on earlier this week. Do you Anne want me to set up a meeting? Yes. <laughs> Mindy K. How long would it take? But yeah, I love Kate Blanchet. Five or six hours. How long? If I told you you didn't have to live with your mother anymore. Isn't Last. Five. Sarah Paulson. Can anyone really be overqualified? This is the Met Gala after gala the met gala the gala yeah aqua no all right here we go don't sleep don't sleep because she might disappear Is that with rihanna we can pack the met security system hey boom. oh <gasps> you poor thing the hell in a bottom car i'm carton. going to prison and then i'm going to be really really poor not necessarily police coming ready to go Oh. they blue steel. Man, they're just not trustworthy. Watch. Oceans 8. What's happening? Oh. Can't get a signal. Wait, 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 wait. Sometimes Every time you, you move jiggling. it, they have to start from Sometimes. scratch. What did you what should do? You? I turn it on. Oh. Oh. My party... Pg Thirteen. Yeah, um, only in theaters June eighth. Um, it's a, it's a, it, I'm, I I've had my um, issues with it being uh, tie into the Ocean's movie. Like, does this have to be? A, you know, just because it's a heist movie, it's got to tie. In. But apparently, this was sort of brought about by people involved in the Ocean's franchise, and they've wanted to try and do another movie. And so this time around, they wanted to do it with a try to spend off and try to do it with a more female-led cast so hey as long as we got it who cares and this looks like fun I'm excited I can't wait to see how it turns out um next up the uh next up is a uh, Hotel Artemis Taking a look at it now the most violent riot in California history. Los Angeles 2028 three minutes. open the box now Oh, that's real nice. You don't want it? No, I really do. Uh, hit the ground now! I need to make a call. Hello. Oh, man. Jody Foster looks like extra old in this movie. Easy, fellas. Everybody's gonna get fixed up. Now verify your memberships, and we're off to the races. In the Artemis is a secret hospital for criminals. I thought you were done with all this. I got out, but you know how it goes. they are never out. Not a here. I thought this place was a myth. We've been here for 22 years. This hospital was built on two things. Trust. and rules. No insulting the staff. You see that badge? That means I'm a healthcare professional. No weapons allowed. You're an arms dealer, right? Well, don't push my buttons. Don't you do that no killing the other patients i'm a professional but this woman she's a business if you knew what she could do to you with just that cup of coffee you're lucky this place has rules the Artemis isn't safe for us because it is it's a portable vault worth about 18 million wolf king's probably gonna want those back okay this is a real problem it's here open the gate that's against the rules rules without the rule breakers honey where would you be this summer you got like a plan you're my brother i love you 3d printing complete i got the next best thing i gotta go i guess my ballroom days are over baby showtime jody foster sterling k brown sophia butelli jeff Goldberg, brian tyree henry and zachary quinto and Charlie Day and There's Dave Fulton Am I going to make it out of here? We can do it together. Jenny Sight's almost so. is what I do. Visiting hours are never busy night at the Artemis. You know, you might want to buy some scented candles or something because it smells like somebody died in here. They did. Written directed by Drew Pierce. Yeah, um. Knockoff or not? I'm excited. I, I, that's the thing about knockoff. People use it as like an insult to something, like, oh, you're just trying to be like that other thing. Well, in the case of John Wick, we could use more John Wick movies, so don't take this away from us. Don't try to decry this movie as a knockoff. If it's good, who cares? Some things are better, th- some knockoffs are better than the original, like Deadpool. Deadpool was a knockoff of Deathstroke are not always best folks anyway uh can't wait for that next weekend's gonna be great especially with this last one because we've got a new one from 824 hereditary let's take a look maybe we finish the toy after the quiz that's gotta be quite the makeup job on that girl like, like she can't maybe or maybe she does look like that I have to look my name's annie my mom died a week ago. She was a very private woman, and she wasn't altogether there at the end. Right here is a game-changing horror masterpiece. to take care of me? You don't think I'm going to take care of you? When you die. Things fly out that you will want to unsee. Sorry, I recognize you from your mother. How was your relationship with your daughter? What? Don't say you weren't warned. Peter. Charlie... Are you okay? Charlie? Please stop. Charlie! Charlie. Charlie! Please stop. Huh? Charlie! Mom? Huh? What's happening? Charlie! Why are you me? Make it stop! Make it stop! it stop! 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 Yeah, that's... That's... Cre- yeah, that's definitely creepy. And once again... We've got all kind. Let, this is. A, I think this is another girl uh, that uh, played Matilda on on stage. I think she played it on Broadway where um, Eleanor Cox played it on uh, the West End. Let me double check. It does not even list its cast on the Wikipedia page. Uh, Millie Shapiro. Yeah, Matilda and You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Let me take a look at her. Millie Shapiro. Oh, yeah, they really... They really played up um, her look in the movie. Let me take a... Look. Yeah, she's just normal-looking girl, for the most part. Um, she's... And, uh, yeah, between Matilda and... Um, Sally Brown. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any problem uh, with this. Uh, let me see something. Discovered at the age of 10 and began training as a professional actress, singer, moved to New York, took to the role of Matilda on Broadway. Yeah. um, This is going to be her first film role and I'm interested to see how she follows this up. Once again, like... These kid actors, when they um, when they uh, play, when they come into these major roles in like more adult films, like uh, like Chloe Grace Moretz did with Hit Girl, then I'm interested to see how they follow it up, what route they go when they uh, when they you know in their careers. Um, apparently, she's in Slytherin House according to Wikipedia, to, according to IMDb. So, I'm hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that. If she, she, you know, Sly, Sly is a Slytherin, so so I'm interested to see uh, wh- wh- what she does next. And that looks that so next weekend looks to be a vast improvement. We've got the ocean uh, that Ocean's Eight movie, which looks like fun. Hotel Artemis, which looks like a blast, and Hereditary, which looks genuinely creepy and good. So that about does it for this weekend, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us through our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to click click on the uh, – go through the Gumby Cat Networks page. Find us and find all of our other fine programming there and lit- whitelist us on your ad blockers and favorite us so you can always check in on when the new episodes come out. And other than that, if you want to check us out through your various podcast provider, you can look us up. If, you're, if you see My Orange mug chomping on popcorn staring at the movies, uh, when you look up Popcorn Junkie and we're over 100 episodes, you've got the right feed. And while you're there, you might want to help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review to let people know, hey, you'll like this show and they should check it out too. And you can also share us on your various social media platforms. Uh, our social media home is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the main announcements come from. That's where you'll hear see all the big news and updates and, you know, things like when I'm seeing a new release, uh, my Stardust reactions, my, when new episodes come out, things like that. Plus, any sort of updates on the podcast, like if there's any new features and whatnot. But, you can, but if, so if you want to keep up to date, mainly, you can do so through facebook.com slash Junkie. If you want to keep in touch with me. You can do so on Twitter, where I'm most active, at Corn Junkie Pod. There, I not only have the Facebook feed, but I also interact with fellow film reviewers and film people. Uh, I also uh, do the the trailer talk segment before new releases, and the along segment uh, on a movie, whether I'm watching at home or in an empty theater. I could have easily done a munch along with Action Point. Nobody was there today, sadly. And... And, and so if you want to join in on that, you can follow me on Twitter at, cor- at Corn Junkie You can follow me on Instagram. The main thing there is just, you know, stuff that goes to the Facebook feed. Uh, but if you want to join me there, it's at Popcorn Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on Stardust to see all my initial reactions to new releases and movies that I'm seeing for the podcast. See that at star- on. Just download the Stardust app and look for Popcorn Junkie. You can also check out other fine film reviewers like the Schmoes No Guys and Epic Voice Guy, the other internet's John Bailey. Him with an eye, mine without, and he does some of the most unique and interesting uh, Stardust reactions on the on the app. Period. Really, check out Epic Voice Guy on Stardust. Uh, after you follow at Popcorn Junkie. And don't forget you can support us through our Patreon. If you have the means, if you can support us on a monthly basis, you can do so at Patreon.com. So Popcorn Junkie. I've got some test, test releases for patrons if you want to check out what you'd be getting as an exclusive. I've got the Munchalong commentary track for Bambi. And I've also got the Make a Better Movie of uh, Iron Man 3. So if you want to hear how I make Iron Man 3 a better movie, you can check that out over on Patreon.com slash Popcorn Junkie. And if you want to donate to the podcast, you can do so through there. And you get some very fine perks from being thanked on the episode to having influence on future episodes and future content. But that's only available if you are willing to help support this fledgling podcast. And if there's anything else you want to say, say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of corrections i should make any if you want to share your own un, non-traditional biopics or your thoughts on the movies that i reviewed send all that to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com and i will either read it out on the mic or just get back to you uh, in, in due time and there's still no twitch for the time being i'll get, as soon as that gets up and running i'll get back to you that about does it for this week until next time i'm john bailey And if you like that your mileage may vary, tie in, then let me know. Maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I won't. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up Nafio.DeviantArts.com for more of his artwork. That's inherently the the nature of the award. Um, yeah, pizza burps. And pizza burps again. Damn it.